Welcome to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. Pastor Andy Oliver is our Bible teacher and expositor. Today's message is from Nehemiah 8, attentive to the book. Please take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We are inundated with Bibles. I have over 50 Bibles at my house. Almost every home I have ever been in has at least one Bible. Whether we're talking about believers or not, somebody can probably scrounge up one that their grandparents gave them or a family Bible or something that's there. Now, this is a historically a a fairly recent phenomenon. Several hundred years ago, Bibles were scarce and very expensive. And frankly, uh, in almost every place in the world, they were also illegal. In most of Europe, it was a capital offense at one point in time to have a Bible. Now, with the advent of the, the printing press, with the Reformation, Bibles became widely available. They were being translated into the languages of the people. And today, in the world today, over half of the world has legal access, well over half, have legal access to the Bible. And although there are, and by the way, it's, it's isn't that many. It's very, there are very few languages left, if you look at the scope of things, uh, that don't have the Bible in their, in their language. And that is being speedily remedied. Uh, remedied. There are a number of different organizations that are, that are doing that. And uh, some are doing a fantastic job. I mean, some of these, yeah, they have to, some of these don't even have written languages. And some of them have uh, pronunciations. You wonder why we have a Q in, in the English language? Why do we have, why do we have, why do we have a K and, and so, it's because other languages use the same alphabet and they have different, different, slightly different pronunciations. I mean, we do C, K, X, C, K, all these things the same, Q sometimes, and yet other languages, there's a nuance. Where do you do the K or the K? You know, that's important in some languages. And they sometimes, for some of these languages, I've talked to some of the people that do this, they actually sometimes, they'll take our alphabet, use that, but once in a while they have to come up with new letters. They have to add a letter because they have some sort of, something, some noise that they make in their speech, and we've got to come up with a letter for that. But they're, they're translating the Bible into the languages of all the different peoples of, of the world. Now, do we appreciate do we appreciate the fact that we have easy access to the scriptures? I mean, all the time, I, I, we've got it here. And I know, I know this from experience. At first it frustrated me, but then I got, I got over it. I got over it because I know a lot of the young people, they don't, they don't use one of these. They use this. Now, of course, it's hard to write in the margins and, and underline things, but, but hey, they use, they use this. Uh, when I'm calling in hospitals and stuff, this, I use the phone that's here. For one thing, it lights up, and, and my, these aren't as good as they used to be. And this is, this is really handy. We have Bibles all over the place. We have access to the scriptures. Do we appreciate this benefit? Do we take advantage of it? Do we read the scriptures daily? Do we do this in private? Do we, do we enjoy the, the liberty and opportunity we have here for the public reading, teaching, and preaching of the Bible? Would a day, let's think about this, would a day or two or a week or a month really make any difference to you personally? 
Oh, I, 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 I do it once in a while. I go to church, but you know, I, I just don't, I don't read the Bible on my own. And so if I were to skip a day or three or five or 25 or 30, it really doesn't make any difference because I'm not looking at it that much. It's not that important. And when I do, I'm looking at it because I just, I just sort of have to. Will it make any difference? What about years going by without reading your Bible? You know, I got a Bible in 19, in 1940 and uh, from my grandparents when I was a kid. And it sat there in the box. It was pristine. And when I went to go visit my grandparents, that went with me. And it came out of the box, and I took it with me to Sunday school, and I took it with me to church because it was expected. And then when I was all done with the visit with my grandparents, back in the box it went, and it went there, and it was beautiful. It was pristine. It looked like brand new until I got saved. And then I wore it out. I still have it. But it's pretty, it's pretty worn out. Uh, we ought to be wearing out our Bibles and not, you know, on the outside working its way in. We ought to be wearing them out from the inside out. Do we study the scriptures? Do we read the scriptures? Now believers throughout history and today have gone through great hardship regarding access to the scriptures. And sometimes they go, not only days and weeks and months, but years without having access to the scripture. They worship the God of heaven. They're trusting in his grace for salvation. They heard the message. They are taught by those who know. But there are churches in the world today that nobody has a Bible. Now that is a rare thing these days because you can go in deepest, darkest, wherever, and people got these things. I was talking to a missionary who works with a remote tribe in part of Costa Rica. And there's no electricity. But you know what? Everybody's got one of these. And he's got a little generator with a a tower of outlets. And everybody comes to his services so they can charge their phones. That's the draw. Hey, let's go to church so we can charge our phones. But throughout history, and, and also in a few places today, but also in the not-so-very-distant past, access to the Word of God was rare. And people would remember. There were churches that might have one Bible, or a portion of a Bible. And they wouldn't keep it because of persecution, so they wouldn't keep it all day. They would, they would dismember the thing, and all the pages, they'd have them distributed among all the congregation. Partly for preservation, but also they would rotate them around because people would copy it down and then pass it on. And over a period of, of months and years, you would have people with handwritten Bibles in a binder or stapled together or tied together because there was no other way to get it. They had a hunger and appetite for the Word of God. It was, it was precious. And instead of dealing just with hearsay, being told the Bible stories and the Bible truths and so on from somebody who knew them, where did they, but I, now, now I can read it for myself. I have the scriptures. Now in Nehemiah's day, among the Jews who had returned from the captivity, the culture, the daily life had embraced much of what the scripture taught. The, the, the Mosaic law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is basically the constitution of ancient Israel. Their religious life, their civil life were one and the same. And it will be that way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will be that way again. 
but not until the Lord returns. And so the scripture was a, was a way of life for the folks there 400 some odd BC. But the vast majority of those people, it was all hearsay. They had never read the scriptures. And by the way, literacy was not quite as rare as people sometimes make it out to be in ancient times. If you were a businessman or anything, you, you had to have some basic knowledge. But having access to that, you would have a little tablet or something. But to actually have a book, that was a, that was a rare, a scroll, that would be a rare commodity. So the scriptures were a way of life, but to, to hear it, to read it, to have it taught, that, that was the rarity. Certain cultural things, what we eat, what we don't eat, what we wear, what we don't wear, uh, the observation of the, uh, observing the Sabbath, all these things were, were part and parcel of the culture. How do we do that? Why do we do this? Because it's in the scripture. Oh, okay. But it's hearsay. I have not read this. And they weren't hearing it read and taught on a regular basis. Understand that at this time, as far as we know, the synagogue did not exist. In your Old Testament, during the kingdom era, they did not have synagogues. When did they hear the scripture? Well, we read about that in Deuteronomy this morning. Every seven years, they would get, when the people came together at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would read the scripture. Is that all? That's all that was prescribed. Now, there, I'm sure there was more than that, but that's what they, what they got. It would be rehearsed. Now, the priests were also supposed to, they didn't only did this a few times, it happened under the, the reign of Jehoshaphat. And probably Josiah as well. But they took, they were supposed to go from village to village. The priests were supposed, and the Levites were supposed to go to the villages and preach and teach the scriptures. But most of the time in, in Israel's history, that was not done. It was neglected. And so the people were ignorant. Other than the things that had come into their culture, they were ignorant of what the word of God said. They didn't know. And there were very few copies. Everything had to be handwritten. How would you, how would you like to... How would you like to transcribe your Bible? I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you three three ring binders full of notebook paper. Remember that stuff from from high school and college. And and you're gonna you're gonna take your Bible and you're gonna you're gonna copy it down, and then you're gonna you're gonna read through it to make sure it matches, and then you're gonna get get your your spouse and they're gonna they're gonna go through it and make sure that you didn't make mistakes, and then we're gonna do the next page. You know, my Bible, the copy I have here, has almost 1,500 pages. That's going to take a while. It was precious in the eyes of the people, in part because it was rare, and they had a hunger for it. During the Soviet era, when some preachers would get in and meet with the church, they would, and by the way, some of the, the Russian churches in the area still carry over some of this. They would preach for hours. And the preacher would, would be, get exhausted, he'd lose his voice, and they would say, please don't stop. You know, if I preach over 45 minutes, people are going, oh, I'm sorry, we don't do that anymore. We want more. We're hungry for the word of God. Nehemiah had arrived in Jerusalem in midsummer. The building of the walls began within a week 
of his arrival. And the job was completed in 52 days. A remarkable, remarkable thing. The temple had been built over a generation before. The city is now secure. There are walls around where the temple is. People can come and worship in relative safety. There's ample room. Remember the circumference of the walls between a mile and a half and two and a half miles. Lots of space. Lots of room. What's next on Nehemiah's agenda? Well, according to the calendar of events given in the Law of Moses, the Feast of Trumpets was to be held on the first day of the seventh month, less than a week after the completion of the walls. Nehemiah wastes no time. Having taken care of the physical and security necessities, he will now reintroduce the people to the Scriptures, that they might know and know more of the God that they worship. Nehemiah chapter 8, let's look at verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered them. I love this. All the people gathered themselves together as one man. Everybody had the same purpose, same intent. Into the street that was before the water gate. Now remember, at this point in time, we're going to see this in, in the next uh, next few weeks. There were hardly any houses in Jerusalem. It was a wide open space. Priests, had, they had the temple. You had a number of priests' homes, but there weren't, there weren't that many houses there. Lots of the room. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe. This huge crowd comes, they, they come to Ezra, and they say, bring the book of the law of Moses, which God has commanded to Israel. We want the word of God. Now, Ezra had arrived in Jerusalem before Nehemiah. He had remedied some of the problems that were there. There's some indication that he may have left and, and then came back. We're not sure. But uh, Ezra was a scribe of the scriptures. And again, we read in, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 12, it says that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of his law. The people said, bring the book. And so they get Ezra. He had come from Babylon and probably bought, brought copies of the scriptures with him. It says in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. He was trained in the scriptures for the purpose of instructing others. And, he per- and as we see the little bits of Ezra here in, in the book of, De- of Nehemiah, as well as in the book of, of Ezra, here's a guy who not only preached it and taught it, but lived it, which is not always the same. There's a lot of people that, that would uh, be in a position of leadership, a, a position as a, as a teacher and instructor of the Word of God, but they don't believe it, they don't live it, they don't, they just teach it, which is tragic. But here's a man who lived it and taught it. And copies of the Scriptures, again, were rare, handwritten only. And these folks had a hunger. They had probably not heard the Scriptures for years. And so we're going to bring these two together. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation. Both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. He gathers the people together. By the way, this is one of the purposes for the the Feast of Tabernacles was to gather the people together to hear the law. It was one of the reasons for this. And he says there in verse, this is amazing, verse 3, and he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate, 
from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who had understanding and the ears of all the people that were, were attentive under the word of the law. How long was he there? I was, now this is, this is summertime. Now granted, we're here at the end of June, but, uh, this is summertime where he is, the end of summer. What time does it get light in the morning? Let's say for the sake of argument, six o'clock. What time did people get up back in this time? At daybreak. Alright? It's lights, time, I can do things. They don't have these magical lights. And when did they go to bed? When it got dark. So, you want to sleep in? Wait till wintertime. He read in the scriptures from six o'clock in the morning until noon. Now there's, there's, there's three remarkable things here. Number four, actually. Number one, that Ezra was able to speak nonstop for six hours. That, t- that takes some doing. Number two, that the people requested it. As we will see, they were standing the whole time. It is a, a remarkable thing that this went on. And it said in verse, it says in verse four, and Ezra the priest, or the scribe, stood upon a pulpit of wood. Uh, don't think of it as one of these things. Because it says he stood on it. I, I, number, there's not enough room for me to stand on this. What we have, if you have a newer translator, let's say a platform, a scaffolding for him to, to stand on. Why? By the way, we only see this idea of a scaffolding at the dedication, of, uh, in other places, in the, in the dedication of the temple by Solomon. And again, there was a scaffolding course, very, very, very elaborate. It was made of bronze for Solomon. But it's probably made of, it's made of wood here. Get me a bronze pulpit here. Let's, let's do that. Why did he have that? Why, why am I standing about, uh, what, 16, 18 inches higher than you guys are when you stand up? Visibility! Visibility. Same reason Solomon was there on the, on the platform. And it was about four feet high so everybody could see. And also it helps with the, with the sound. You know, the voice travels up over the top of the heads. And so he is on this platform. He, he opens the word of God. He brings out the scroll. There was probably a desk up there. The scrolls, uh, very often. It's kind of interesting. They, they, I always pictured in my mind until I saw it that like the Dead Sea Scrolls would be these, these great big huge things like this and um, look like they're on two giant rolling pins. You know what I mean? You know, you got to get two or three people and you have to unfurl this this great big huge thing. The Dead Sea Scrolls are about as big as a piece of notebook paper. Maybe not even quite that high. And I don't know if that was standard. I know that uh, some of the, the fancier copies of the law that were in some of the ancient synagogues were these great big huge things. We don't know. But he uh, he, he he opens up the book. Now remember... When we're dealing with books in, in, during, the, during the time that this book was written, they weren't like this. Okay, You didn't have a, a spine where everything was glued or sewn together and then a bunch of pages. That wasn't invented until probably the 3rd or 4th century. Partly, by the way, to make this workable as far as just the amount of material that there are in the scriptures. Instead, you had a scroll. And you would have a number of different volumes for this. In the volume of the scroll of the book, it is written of me. So I've got a scroll with some of the Psalms in it. I've got a scroll with Deuteronomy. I've got a scroll with Exodus. I've got different scrolls for the law. And he he's up on this platform. 
and the who's who of, uh, of Israel was there with him on, in verse 4. And it says in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. He's up there, and he opens up the, the scroll to read. And it says, And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, this is one of the reasons why, when we have our reading of the Scripture here on Sunday morning, that we stand. Why did the people do that? And by the way, Ezra didn't say, let's rise, please, all rise. That it, it was spontaneous. Why was it done? Talk to me. Reverence, respect, awe. We are going to hear the very words of God. You know, one of the things that we have, we have lost in our culture in the last several generations is certain protocols that were in place before. And I've shared this with you before, that uh, I was in a, this was a long time ago. I won't tell you how many years ago it was. A uh, long time ago, and there was a, a, a lady that was going to be coming and just sharing a few stories with us. We knew who she, we didn't know who it was. We knew somebody was coming to be speaking to us. And uh, when she came in the room, it was this hundred-year-old lady that was going to be telling us some stories. And when she, as soon as everybody saw her, the whole room, and it was, it was like 130 guys, spontaneously, everybody stood up when she walked into the room, out of respect for, for this 100-year-old lady. They didn't say, okay guys, let's stand up. It, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary. Everybody, it was just all in a, in a, as a unit, everybody stood up. I don't know how many thousand people were here. We get an idea of how many people when we have the list of all the people that were building the wall in chapter chapter 2, chapter 3. But they stood up spontaneously for the reading of the scripture. And they didn't sit down again, probably, until he was done. Six hours they stood there. And it wasn't that somebody was looking at, okay, you guys need to be doing this. We called you here. You are, it was, this was their idea. This is what they wanted. They wanted to hear the scripture, and they stood in awe and reverence for the word of God. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then we have the list of people and so on. Verse 8, this is very important. And they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now let's uh, let's consider a couple of things about this. Had to read distinctly. I have to work at this. My wife hounds me politely, graciously. She hounds me about this. I need to make sure that I don't mumble. I have to speak distinctly. I have a tendency, as most of you know, to talk too quickly. I need to slow down. My mother, when she would come and hear me preach, would sit in the front row, and the whole time I would be preaching, she would say, It was read distinctly so that all could hear. They didn't have these things. He had to be able to speak loud enough. Now, I know some guys have the gift. I have the gift of loud. Some guys don't. Jeff, you don't have the gift of loud. 
I have preached outside to three and four hundred people without any difficulty, without a, without the benefit of a microphone. George Whitfield could preach to twelve and fifteen and fifteen twenty thousand people two hundred fifty years ago without the benefit of a microphone. Wow! Spurgeon filled the tabernacle back in his day with over five thousand people. They did not have microphones. They read distinctly so that everybody could make out what was being said. And they gave the sense. Some newer translations will say that they translated. You ever wonder? Maybe you didn't, I don't know. You read Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. You'll have the name Jeshua. You'll have the name Zechariah. You'll have a few, because after their time in Babylon, they came back, the language had changed a little bit. They pronounced things a little differently. They were living in a place that spoke Aramaic. And when they came back to the land of Judea, even though some of the people were still speaking Hebrew, their pronunciation was a little different. I mean, a long time, a lot of years had passed. They'd been living in a foreign country. And so perhaps some clarification needed to be take, needed to take place. It needed to be explained what it meant to remove misunderstanding, to make it clear. Now, what I could do every Sunday, and some of you might appreciate this, is I could just get up here when it was time for the, for the preaching, and I would say, turn your Bibles to, to Nehemiah chapter 8, and read the chapter, and say, thank you very much, you're dismissed. Oh, that was great. He was here for 10 minutes. We are done. I like this church. What I do, what I try to do, is explain what the text says. I'll give you a background, what it looks like, what was going on, the culture, the background, what sometimes the words mean. Give you the details. I explain what the word says. I'm not telling you my opinions and my ideas, or if I do, I'll make sure I clarify. This is my opinion, by the way. But I'm trying to explain what the word of God says. And I believe that what you had here was a blend of the reading of the scripture and a little bit of preaching and teaching. And so Nehemiah would, or Ezra would read, and then there were a number of other people, I think a lot of those guys on the platform, would be out there with the crowd and explaining what this meant, what this, so that they would understand. Biblical preaching and teaching needs to be biblical. I don't know about you. It is a tragic thing, and I've heard my share of these things over the years, where you get a guy who goes into the pulpit, he reads a text, and that's the last time he he actually turns to the Bible or quotes the scripture in the balance of his message. He's springboarding. He's got something he wants to tell his people, and I'm going to find a Bible verse that has something to do with it, because i got to tell him something, and i got to have justification from the Bible to be able to say what I want to say. That's backwards. I don't tell you my ideas and then try to find biblical support for it. We go through the scriptures and tell you what God has to say, and as much as possible, try to remove my opinions out of the whole equation. Tell you what the book has to say. Because these people who were hearing this from Ezra, I dare say the majority of them had never heard the scriptures before. They knew about them. They knew they were there, but in part because of a lack of faithfulness to, to, to have it read publicly, as they were supposed to, and probably some opportunity as well, it had been neglected. 
And so he caused them to understand what the scripture means. And let me say this very carefully and what it means to me. Now, this is not a subjective call. We have to be very careful about this. What the scripture means is the all-important thing. What it means to me is the application of biblical truth to my situation. It doesn't change what it says. It doesn't change what it means. It says, how, how does this, this truth, how does this affect me? What am I to do? How does this encourage me? What does this mean to me personally as far as, how does this fit in my life? What am I to do now with this information that I have? Personal application. And I dare say from the response of the people that that was the, the case for, a, for, for the vast majority that was there. Because it says there in verse 9, and Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, that's the governor. And Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. He says, mourn not nor weep. It says, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. While this preaching and teaching and explaining was going on, the people were crying and weeping and sobbing as they heard the word of God. Now, I believe that they were, that response was there for several reasons. Number one is they were just, they were just overwhelmed. That this, this thing that I had heard about all my life, that I had been taught from childhood to be in awe of, that God had given his word to my people, And now, for the first time in my life, I'm actually hearing it. And they were just overwhelmed by the circumstances. I also think that a lot of the people were overwhelmed by their failures. Because what they were hearing was the law. You are to do this. 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 And you are not to do this and this and this. And it had been hearsay before, and some of the things had been neglected because they didn't know. And now I'm hearing, I need to be doing this, and I need to make sure I'm not doing this. I remember, I remember as a new Christian, I'd gotten saved reading a gospel tract uh, when I was uh, when I was a young teenager, and it would be another year and a half or two years before I got into a into a church and finally began to be taught and discipled. And I remember. Learning things. Because I, every, every time I would go to church, I'd find out something new that I wasn't supposed to be doing and something new I was supposed to be doing. Every week. So, oh man, I gotta get busy. I gotta stop doing this. I better start doing this. By the way, if you spend your time doing the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. And, and, and God was transforming my life because I was being taught the scripture. And when you have this crowd of probably 10,000 people or more who are hearing this, many of them for the first time, and all of a sudden you're seeing this giant field of light bulbs appearing over all these people's heads, beep, 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 blinking on and off as all these things are coming to light and, oh, I gotta be doing this, oh, I need to be doing this, oh, I gotta stop doing that. And it isn't just do's and don'ts. It's how do I live a life that is in accord with what God has for me? How do I live a life that honors and pleases God? And then also, I think that part of this was the grief and their failure to understand and obey. 
Part of it was a grief in that it had been so long in coming. Over the years, we have seen a number of people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s come to know Christ as Savior. And they look back at their lives and they said, wasted years. Why did I wait so long? Wasted years. And so a declaration. Folks, I know you're, you're sad. I know you're upset. But today is holy. It is a wonderful, glorious day. Because for the first time in decades, probably, you have heard the word of God. You have heard the message of obedience. You have heard the message of grace. You've heard it before. You'll hear it again now. It is a delightful thing when you're preaching the word of God. Because you're all looking at the back of each other's heads. I see the faces. And it is a delightful thing when you're preaching a straightforward gospel message. And you have somebody that is older. And they're sitting there. And these are people who maybe had grown up in church. But somehow or another, the gospel had eluded them. It wasn't taught in their churches. Maybe it was something that had just never clicked with them. And you get this. The eyebrows go up. The mouth goes open. It looks like, uh, who was the guy that was on the, the did little paintings for the cover of the Saturday Evening Post? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it looks like a Rockwell painting. Because all of a sudden... I get it. That's it. That's why. And there was a whole crowd of people for the the first time are hearing the word of God. Now I understand. Now I get it. And so they were, they were in tears. Tears of grief, but also tears of joy. And very often those two things are mingled. And I think one of the reasons they stopped reading at noon was because of the uproar of the people. There was too much noise coming from the crowd as people were, were sobbing and crying. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to stop here. We're going to make a few announcements, but we're going to stop here. And they say in verse 10, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When he says eat the fat, he's not talking about, you know, drinking a cup of Crisco. He's talking about rich, fat foods. You know, kind of like what we do on holidays, you know, you just have, you got the spread there. Instead of it being a time of mourning, we're going to have a celebration. Drink the sweet. And they would boil wines and they would have uh, date syrup. And so we're going to have some sweet drinks and we're going to have some good food. And it's going to be a time of celebration. You know, it's interesting. Most cultures, when they celebrate, food's involved. And we do that too. And so he says, do this. And if you, and if you, if you know people that don't have this, that they're, they're poor, whatever the case may be, then, then, then send portions to them. He says, for this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoicing, because the Lord is our strength. Our Lord is our strength to meet material needs. He is the God who enables us to do and be what we should. 
And he is the one, most importantly, who gives us salvation. All these things are are a cause for, for joy, of celebration. And these folks here, this day is holy unto the Lord. Why was it? What was, what was happening here? The reading and explaining of the Word of God. That's all that was going on. But they heard the promises of God. They heard the, the truth of God's Word. And it was enough. They were rejoicing because they had understood the Word of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The Apostle Paul, in addressing Timothy says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is not just a book. This is the the word of God. It tells us about God, but it also, most importantly, tells us how we can know him. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I can look at the world around me and know there's a God. But if I am to know God, I can only find out from the scriptures. Have you trusted Christ as your savior? Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And then if you are sure, Are you immersing yourself in this book? Are you reading God's book to you? Are you immersing yourself? Are you reading this? Are you studying this? Is this, is this precious to you? Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, we rejoice in the fact that you did not leave us when we sinned. That you loved the world. And over the centuries, you revealed your your word. And it was written down. And it's been preserved, and we have it today. And the scriptures contain the message of salvation. God's provision for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we can know you. And we can know you because the scripture says so. Father, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the message. And Father, thank you that we have the Word of God. Lord, if there's somebody here today without Christ, may today be the day of salvation. And Father, for those of us who do know you, Father, may we immerse ourselves in the Word of God that we might know more of you. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about faith in Jesus Christ or more about our ministry, please visit www.gracebaptistpuallop.org Until next time, may you walk worthy of the Lord.